This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. How many of you are beginning to maybe see, just from another facet, if you will, another facet, you say, oh, wait. You know, one of the greatest deceptions that we face is when we make any facet or any idea of the gospel the whole. When one thing becomes the main thing, you get in trouble. Another way of saying that is this. If the only tool you have in your toolbox is a hammer, pretty soon everything looks like a nail. See, God when we come to these conferences is trying to get other tools in your toolbox. And so maybe what's happened in your life is that you have an overemphasis. Let me give you another illustration. If you go to the gym, I don't know if you've ever seen these guys in the gym. I have a couple guys in the gym. And all they ever work on is their bicep. But after gym, they go and they try to eat. And they have such a big bicep that they can't get their hand to their mouth. How many of you know it looks kind of freakish when they walk around the gym? Of course, of course their legs are like pencils. You know what I'm talking about? See, so what I'm saying, some of you look like that in the spirit realm. Here comes the prayer warrior. That's okay, it's okay. Hey, but can I tell you something? If you're gonna have a strong bicep, you should have a strong tricep, a strong deltoid, strong forearm, strong hands, strong pectorals. You should start trying to have a well-balanced body. Do a few squats as well. Get those legs going, you know? If you find yourself praying the same way, the same words, the same direction all the time, the Bible talks about manifold prayers, multifaceted prayers. It it talks about the many kinds of prayer. It's not good to know only one kind of prayer. I'm an intercessor. Yeah, but you know what? Intercession has all kinds of things in it. Supplication. Thanksgiving. The prayer of faith. The prayer of agreement. The prayer of binding and loosing. See, I, I tell you, if you don't know all the different manifold types of prayer, study. Study to show yourself approved. A workman that need not be ashamed, but rightly discerning. Rightly dividing the word of truth. I want holistic people. I, I, I don't get impressed with somebody that can pray all day and then leaves their family to rot. Any more than I get impressed with somebody who spends all their time in their business and don't take care of their wife and their children or know how to pray. Hey, Chokwadi. Chokwadi. 
Can I just go a little bit more today? Are you ready for a little bit more? Take your seats. Guys, I'm going to teach a little bit longer. You can sit up here. I'll have you up. We're not going to be long. Is this, is this heavy for you? Is this heavy for somebody? I, I don't want it to be heavy. You know, look. Can, can, can I tell you something? You know what the Bible says about five-fold ministry gifts? It says that God gave the five-fold ministry gifts to the body of Christ so that they could equip the saints for the work of the ministry, so that they could bring correction and instruction in righteousness. And, 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 and the word that's used there is a very amazing word, but we get our word chiropractor from it. It's to give a chiropractic adjustment. How many of you have ever been to a chiropractor? How many of you have ever needed one? Hey, there was a time I used to carry a briefcase over my shoulder. And I carry it everywhere. I went to airports. I traveled with it. And, and, and this, the problem is it had Bibles and pretty soon it had uh, computers and, and it was heavy. And so I'd, I'd walk like this. Well, little did I know I was taking my C5 or whatever this here and, and it was collapsing it to where my muscles were then jamming around this thing. And then I, hey, I, my back would hurt so bad. So I went to the chiropractor. And he says, you have a problem here. He says, do you carry a briefcase? I said, yes, I do. He says, you got to stop doing that. He says, get one with wheels. Pull it. He says, why would you do that? And he tried to pop it. He couldn't pop it. It was so tight. He says, e. He says, I'm going to need to see you for a week until I can get this thing popped. Each day he'd go in there and he'd massage it. He'd work the muscles and then he'd go. And it, ah, and it was so painful. Finally, he was visiting. Finally, he was getting ready to leave to go back to America. He says, well, this is my last day. He says, if I, if I don't get it, he says, he says, this is a problem. You, you need to find a chiropractor to get this thing fixed. He worked me, he worked me, he worked me, he worked me. And that day, I knew he thought, well, this is my last time I'm going to see this guy, so I'm going to give it a real go. And he jumped on me with both hands on either side of this thing. And literally, it sounded like a shotgun went off. Boom! That thing popped. And I stood up, and I hadn't walked straight for three or four years. I just, all of a sudden, I thought, oh, that, that's amazing. <laughs> well, now I do regular chiropractic adjustments because I found out how valuable it is to keep your spine in order, to keep your health in order. Did you know every one of your organs in your body is connected to your spine? And if your spine is pinching one of the nerves on your back, it's affecting one of your organs. Did you know that? You're fearfully and wonderfully made. So guess what God says? Hey, listen, in the body of Christ, I have chiropractors. They're called five-fold ministry gifts. And they, from time to time, they come and crack a bone. They try to move things. And, 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 and I know it's painful for some of you because you have been walking with a backpack for years. And all of a sudden, as we try to correct you, it's like, and, 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 and it's hard to let go of a thought or an, an extreme or an emphasis to learn different emphasis. I understand that. But that's not, 
that's my job. My job is to help correct and adjust the body of Christ so that the whole body can function. And if you're one of the vertebrae and you're out of order, you're affecting the rest of the body. And so let me just pick up on that thought a little bit because Daniel understood spiritual protocol. He understood divine protocol and he understood doctrine. And so for you and I and for the body of Christ to succeed in breakthrough, we also have to get this understanding. You see, I think it's important that we hear instruction from our spiritual leadership and that we follow their instruction as part of our protocol. Pastor Randy gave a beautiful example. We have people that are out of order. They think that the anointing comes, or maybe it was Bishop Never. The anointing comes on the head and then they are above the head. They want the anointing to be on them. The intercessor has the revelation. No, the intercessor under the headship of Christ, who is the head, who gave gifts unto men to bring order in the church. And the church is built on the foundation of apostles and prophets. And the intercessor comes in there. She may or he may be a prophet. He may be an apostle. But there are different protocols. And, and, and ours isn't to be above. Ours is to submit one to another. And while you may have revelation in a certain area, it can never go against or above those that God has placed in spiritual authority. Or else we lose order in the church. We lose direction. And if your leader doesn't see it yet, that's okay. Pray for him because God will open his eyes in due course. But if you become rebellious because you're so much better and then you go out and start your own or you do your own thing, well, guess what? You're going to end up hurting yourself and the body of Christ. Daniel, he's perfectly understood this. And you have to understand who Daniel was. Daniel was part of royalty and he was taken captive as a part of the royal family, and he was made a eunuch. He was castrated as a young man. And he serves four generations, four different kingdoms of Babylonian rulers. Well, Babylonian, Medes, eventually Cyrus. He influences. But he remained true to his spiritual calling, even though he was under different headship all the time. It's a picture for you and I to follow. It's a pattern, okay? So, one of the critical aims of an army is to knock out the enemy radar so that they can hinder their ability to communicate. Uh, if we can knock out the enemy's communications, guess what? It gives us a tremendous advantage. And that allows us the ability to have penetration into the enemy territory. How many of you know that we are advancing the gospel? But when we can knock out enemy territory, it, enemy strongholds, okay, and, I'm, and again, I'm, I, here's the balance. I'm not trying to say we go after these things. I'm just saying we do this as we walk in the Spirit, as we are led of the Spirit. You see, the greatest communication of the enemy isn't against enemy strongholds out there, but enemy strongholds in here. Let me try to... Let me, let me say it this way. When we have ambiguous or incorrect intercommunication between ourselves, whether deliberate or unintentional, it can be lethal in our warfare. It can be lethal in our advancement of the kingdom of God. 
You see, we're in a spiritual battle. We're placed under spiritual authority by God. So we need to be careful that we receive instructions from our own commanders. We receive instructions from our own Lord and Savior correctly. And that we relay them clearly in a cognizant way. Whether intentionally or accidentally, we have to understand that communications that are indistinct or obscure result in confusion. Jesus is the one who said this. He says, a kingdom divided against itself will fall. I don't have near as much fear of the communications of the enemy as I do the communications inside the church. I don't think that the enemy has near as much power as we give him. But I'll tell you what, I can't get three people to say the same thing in the church half the time. You can't get three leaders in this city to agree hardly on anything. We're so busy building our work. And I'm not sure that God really, really is so impressed with what we're doing. We keep blaming how powerful the devil is. I'm telling you, I think that it has a lot to do with our own pride. Our own inability to say, hey, listen, I'm not that big of a deal. There's others that are probably much better at what I'm doing than I am. And I'm only the caretaker of this ministry until the real guy gets here. I'm only serving until a better servant comes. And uh, if I can decrease and somebody else could increase, that's fantastic by me. See, I think there's got to come an attitude in the body of Christ that says, hey, who's important isn't me. Who's important is Jesus. What's really important isn't my ministry, but his ministry. May he be seen and I unseen. So what are the things that confuse our communication with each other? Well, a primary cause is when the sheep have a different vision from the shepherd. Hmm? So let's talk about the great shepherd, Jesus. When we as his sheep have a different vision than our great shepherd. He says, my sheep hear my voice, another they will not follow. So when God gives you an under shepherd to shepherd you, but he gives you a senior pastor, and you're always bucking against him, you know better than the pastor. When the sheep can't stay together because, well, you have a personal revelation then what's happened is you've exalted yourself above God's order and we bring communication, distract, distraction and distress amongst the sheep. Your strong opinions are bringing division in the body of Christ. Your inability to listen, to obey. Nobody can tell me what to do. That's right, nobody can. That's why we willingly submit one to another. I can't lord my authority over you. I can't make you do anything. But I have a responsibility to lead an organization. I learned a long time ago, every time I make a decision, half of you don't like it. It doesn't matter what decision. But when you lead an organization, guess what? You make decisions. And decisions aren't necessarily right or wrong. They're just decisions. That's wrong. I don't like that. Well, from your vantage point, I understand, I understand that. But you're not from my vantage point. 
We made decisions to help put parking lot attendants out in the parking lot to protect your vehicles, to help guide you and direct you. Half of you upset. He can't tell me where to park my car. I, look at these people out here. Who do they think they are? You treat them like they're some kind of a nuisance to you. Meanwhile, you should be submitting to them and be grateful that we have a team out there that is watching your cars try to keep you from being broken into, helping you get in and out of the parking lot better, helping guide us and direct us. No, 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 but arrogant, prideful, you know better than all of us people. Now, I didn't say your name. You can't get mad at me until I say your name. If I say your name, get mad. But if I didn't say your name, just look straight ahead. Don't turn red. Don't turn to the right or left. Don't say anything and nobody will know I'm talking about you. But see, like what I'm saying, we make a decision and half of you get offended. We close the balcony because the service wasn't full. I'm like, what is, what, what, I, I, that's my seat up there. No, your seat's now down here. I just don't like the way they just boss us around. No, we're trying to give order to the service. We're trying to keep things in order. And it just gives us more ability to serve you better if we don't have people spread all over and we don't have as much labor issues. But you don't see that. But you have a strong opinion. And so those are just little things. Now when we get into real spiritual matters, it becomes even more personal. Because you have your own personal revelation, your own personal Jesus, your own personal interpretation, and you're so independent, you forgot you're part of a body. You're part of a sheepfold. You're one of many sheep. Unless you're a goat. <laughs> Tap your neighbor. Say he's going from preaching to getting mean now. The second thing is that an army that has a different, a different aim from their commander, a different target than their commander. Think about that. See, God compares us to a sheepfold. He compares us to an army. In fact, there's 14 things in the Bible that God compares us to that we're not. But we have to look at those things. You're like an army, but we're not an army. But when we compare ourselves to an army, you have to understand that there can only be one commander. Is that right? Except in Zimbabwe. <laughs> no, we have a commander-in-chief, and then we have other generals that seem to think that they're just as powerful. Is that right? Isn't that what we're fighting in, in the, in the market? Isn't that what they're seeing in the marketplace? See, that's, that's why... If we can't model it in the church, how do we speak to it in the marketplace? So the commander has to be able to speak and say, okay, this is our target. This is what we're going to do. How many of you know that there's sometimes commanders that make decisions, they lead, and we don't win that battle? And there's casualties. All commanders, we're like an army. Armies aren't perfect. Even God's army is not perfect. Even God's armies, even the Israelites lost a few of their battles. But they have won the war. 
See, we, we, we try to keep, we, we want to have a perfect world and we judge our leaders by their actions while we judge ourselves by our intentions. <laughs> you got that, didn't you? She got it. Another thing that breaks up communication is when we have a team that wants to run a different play than what the coach told them to run. Well, what good is it to have a coach if he says, okay, come here, come here, look, I see they're weak on the left flank here. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to come down the right, we're going to pass through the middle, and I want you guys to break free on that side. We're going to get it to you. And so here's the plea. We've practiced it a hundred times, let's do it. Oh, no, no, but superstar over here. He says, I'm going to run down the right flank and I'm going to do my own thing and I'm going to dazzle everybody and woohoo, and he misses. Well, why do we have a team? Why do we have a coach? Why? If, if we're not going to listen to each other, if we're not going to work with each other, if we're not going to study each other, we're going to make mistakes as a team. We're not going to do it right. But guess what? Let's, 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 let's learn to communicate. Let's develop our communication skills. Because I tell you what, the enemy takes advantage of us. Mixed signals in our own team. Anybody listening to me? You see, any vision that is different is division. And in this, this, this presents an unwillingness in us to hear instruction, hear direction, hear strategy. And, 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 and Jesus said it this way. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body is full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? So what might a bad eye look like? Anything that blocks our vision, anything that keeps us from seeing the same vision is a bad eye. Anything that keeps us on the right course is a bad eye. It's a dark eye. And the enemy is the master at keeping us from seeing. The master breaking up our communication, keeping us from being one heart, one mind, one voice, one purpose, one direction, one prayer. One body of Christ. Heck, we can't even keep the local body together. And we're talking about the city body or the national body. We have the president of the EFZ. I wouldn't want that job for all the tea in China. It's like herding cats. 1 John 2.16 says, for all that is in the world... The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Translated, that means anything that takes our attention, our affection away from God, or hinders our communication with each other, is lethal to us. We no longer walk in the light, therefore we're not walking in the kingdom. One of the greatest obstructions to clear spiritual vision currently in our modern society is a form of idolatry that is deeply embedded inside of all of our economic systems. And if we're going to have real reformation, 
It'll be in the face of increasing fascination with materialism. The Apostle Paul warned of a time when people think that godliness would be associated with great gain. That somehow those who are godly are the ones that have the biggest houses, that have the best cars, that have the best suits. Godliness is great gain. Let me tell you something. I, 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 I believe in prosperity. I believe in it. I believe that God wants to prosper you. But not prosper you for yourself, but prosper you for the extension of the kingdom of God. And Pastor Randy was so good. He's been teaching us about this spirit of brokenness, this spirit of, of, of humility, this, this grasping and laying hold of these mantles and, and having a sense of continuity and belonging and, and being a part of something bigger than ourselves and, and anointing and, and having purpose in our lives. And, and, and it's all about being anointed and full of the presence of God. And I'm saying, guys, look, when you're walking in the kingdom, when you're walking with God and you have that sense, no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Prosperity is a, a, a done deal. He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Well, do you know what that righteousness looks like? It looks a lot like brokenness. It looks a lot like I decrease, he increases. It looks a lot like not my will be done, but your will be done. It looks a lot like Jesus going early hours of the morning and seeking God and saying, God, I only say what I hear you say. I only do what I see you do and your will be done and not my will be done. And Father, if this cup can be taken from me, please have it taken. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. See, th those are the pictures that God gives us. And, 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 and if our life is going another way, if we're moving another direction, then we're miscommunicating and we're being miscommunicated too and we're, we're sending a wrong message and we're being divided by our very enemy that we're trying to defeat by walking this humble, broken life. I'm sure that's all muddy. But I'm, I'm, I'm trying to paint a picture. Anybody seeing a picture? I know, look, I've watched what happened, and I understand emphases. Look, I, I know that the church at one time was so beaten down, so humble that we were on the other extreme. We had nothing. We could be nothing. We were worms. We were just pitiful, and, 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 and you deserve nothing, and, and, and if you get to heaven, well, maybe you're lucky to get there even. I understand that ditch. But I think that somehow we've gone over to the other ditch now. Bless God, I am the man of God. I need 50 people to serve me. I, what? You're, you're here to serve. You're serving my ministry. I'm the big guy. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Excuse me. Come, come. I have a word for you. Give me $200 and I'll give you a 200 word. Give me 2,000, I'll give you a 2,000 word. Go stay in my hotel for four days and I'll come. If I show up, I'll touch you and you'll be received the apostles anointed. What, what nonsense is this? It's all nonsense. Let me tell you something. Every man of God that really knows God understands that when a miracle takes place, it wasn't him. 
When, when, when the anointing shows up, it's not him. It's, it, it's like, and, 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 and he's thrilled at the fact that God anointed him. He's thrilled at the fact that, oh, God, you gave me something. I delivered it, and it worked. It, it touched the heart. It's amazing. He, he's just as thrilled as can be. And he models that. He knows it's not him. He knows it's God. That's what we want in our prayer movement. That's what we want in our churches. That's what we want from our pastors. And boy, I'll tell you, the more we get that attitude, guess what? The more we can be real with each other, the more we can be friends, the more we can say, hey, you know what? Oh, pastor, that was amazing. Yeah, it was. I was just shocked, to be honest with you, man. <laughs> when God showed up, man, uh, and he used me. Can you imagine? He used me. Oh, my God. I, I was blessed. Praise be to Jesus. Hey, let Jesus get the glory. Pastor, God seems to be using you a lot that way. Yeah, you know, but it's the gifts and callings of God that are without repentance. So it's really not me, it's him. But he's using me, and, I, and, I, and I'm just trying to stay yielded. I just really want to try to stay humble and, and, and see if I can't keep hearing the voice of God. You know, I think I could, I think I could get puffed up with pride a little bit, thinking it was me. Hmm? Then on the other hand, you have to know who you are. But not for any bones about it, I'm going to lead this organization, I'm going to lead the church because God anointed me to do that. But not from a position of pride, but from a position of authority. We are not all, we are, we are all equal in Christ. We're not all equal in authority. So I know I have an authority. I know God called me, and I'm going to be true to the calling that he gave me. But guess what? When I tell you and I speak to you and I speak forcefully and I, and I, and I direct you, it's not because I think I'm great. I want you to know that my heart attitude is one thing, but I'm speaking because I believe and because I have heard and because I'm saying. And I do it with faith, and I'm, unle I'm unlocking things for you because I've earned a place in God to do that. So there's a balance in all these things. I, I, I'm not trying to get in either ditch on either side. Does that make sense? Are you glad I'm clarifying some of this? You notice I'm not trying to preach a message. I'm just trying to touch on points that I think are important to us. Amen? I believe one of the reasons that Islam is so powerful is because its followers have made it a way of life. Islam's shaking the conventional economic systems. Here in Zimbabwe, the purveyors of Islam, the, the, the uh, Muslims have come in here and they are trying to infiltrate the quarters of power, the institutions that were once clearly influenced by Christian values. And I think it's time that you and I as Christians get back into the marketplace and we begin to put our influence there again. Amen? As many Christians are beginning to pursue personal wealth, there seems to be an unwillingness to risk life, honor, or fortune for the kingdom of God. The shocking fact is that by exalting wealth, life, honor, and fortune, subtly those things become the idols of choice, both blocking our clarity of vision 
as well as locking us into lifeless forms of religion. The Bible says he hates, God hates those that have a form of godliness or a form of religion that denies the power thereof. A significant part of being reformers is demonstrating or is demonstrated by our willingness to use our finances to accurately impact the areas and domains that we're praying about. In other words, in the year of pay, this is putting your money where your mouth is. If you're not, willing, if you're, if you're, if you're not gonna put your money where your mouth is, then I don't know that you really believe what you're praying anyway, amen? Part of being reformers is the willingness to use our finances specifically to impact the areas and the domains that we're praying about. And that's one of the reasons that one of the things I love about our own prayer movement is, is that it's probably one of the most well-financed departments in the ministry. Because people come here to pray and they do not come before God empty-handed. They always have a seed to sow. And I don't think you can ever miss out when you sow a seed when you pray. Cornelius mixed his alms with his prayers and an angel came to answer. You go through the Bible, God always honors men that mix their prayers and their alms or their seeds together. Amen? It was Dr. or it was Apostle Gabenga who came to Zimbabwe. He caused a great uproar and a great stir, and many of you got offended. But he did say something that I think resonates in my spirit. He said this He says, Until the level of sacrifice that we are willing to operate at, exceeds the amount of sacrifice which our contemporaries are giving to ancestral spirits through spirit mediums and other witchcraft practices, we will not see the kingdom of God established. Can I tell you something? When our fellow, our, our, our fellow Zimbabweans are spending more money at shrines offering sacrifices to their ancestors and demons than the church is in following God, we have a major problem. When you, as a Christian, spend more time putting your money to appease the family spirits, to appease your family at funerals, grave beatings, <laughs> memorial services, etc., etc., and you're giving more to that than you are to the kingdom, you have a misplaced value system. And how can God bless that? Tap your neighbor, say, I don't have any idea who he's talking about. I want you to hear Pastor Randy. I want him to come and speak to us. But before he comes, I would like to give you a bathroom break. And I think this has been a heavy session, don't you? Has this been heavy? Am I dealing with home issues? I could go on. I wanted to, I, you know, I, I, wanted to take the, 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 I wanted to take the last 20 or 30 minutes and I wanted to talk to you about Paul. First of all, Jesus and then Paul. And, and let me just give it to you in a nutshell. I think, I think, I think I can do this. But I want you to have a homework assignment. The Bible says that Jesus learned obedience through the things he suffered. Now, wait a minute. If our Savior learned obedience through what he suffered, why, why do you think you and I are not going to learn through what we suffer? The Apostle Paul is the greatest apostle 
in the Bible. Two-thirds of the New Testament is written by him. And of all the men in the Bible, he had the most impact on the church. He, 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 he is the father of the church in many ways. I, I know Peter was the, 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 the head, but Paul, he rocked it. But if you study Paul's life, Paul's life is full of suffering, full of brokenness, full of attack. And every time he went to preach the kingdom of God, he got attacked by demonic forces. It was never easy. But if you'll study it, you're going to find something. Paul had three missionary journeys. The first one was kind of a cursory journey. He went out and, I mean, everywhere he went, he was, I mean, it was a short journey. But everywhere he went, they drove him out of the city. They persecuted him. The Jews hated him. And yet, at the end of his journey, he went back to the very cities he was driven out of to strengthen the churches there. He wasn't afraid of what the enemy was bringing against him. He had a confidence in God. His second journey, he gets a calling from God. He's on his way to Asia and God, the Holy Spirit forbids him to go to Asia. Forbids him. He tries twice. He says, I'm going to go to Asia. Then he says, no, I'll go to Bithynia. He says, that's part of Asia. He says, you do not go to Asia. So he goes to Europe. He goes to what is now modern day Greece and he, and he has a great ministry in Greece. But if you'll study, you'll find out that every city he goes to, he's confronted and driven out of that city by the demonic stronghold of that city. He never conquers each of those cities. Each of those cities, he leads people to Christ. He establishes the work of God. He starts a church. But he himself is driven from the city. Every time he goes. One time they beat him and leave him for dead. The saints go outside, pray for him outside the gates of the city. He's resurrected. And yet again on that journey, after he's finished with the whole journey, he comes back along the same path to encourage the saints again. His third journey, guess where he gets to go? To the place God forbade him to go in the first two. He goes to Asia. And there, he confronts Diana. The same spirit that you and I are confronting today in the world. Artemis, Diana. Same spirit. He confronts the leading spirit of the, of the world. But now, little by little, he's been trained. He's been taught. He said so much revelation he had that there was a spirit sent to him, a demonic spirit to torment him so that he wouldn't be puffed up with pride at how much he knew about God. Can you see the value God places on humility? Can you see the value God places on brokenness? Hear this broken man. This broken down man. And if I, if I went through and told you the stories, he tried to, this guy's a brilliant man. He's a brilliant orator. He's a brilliant debater. And his last attempt to operate in his brilliance was in Athens. And he goes to Areopagus and he begins to contest with the philosophers of the day. And, he, and, he's, and he's having a, an apologetic argument. And he, he wins the argument and it mildly moves them. They say, well, we'll hear you again. That was interesting. You know, here's, here's a, here, this guy has some very strange thoughts. <laughs> he believes in a God that has a resurrection. And, yeah, we'll hear you again. He has one of many gods. And Paul is so broken from that experience that the next place he goes to is Corinth. If you read about what he went to when he went to Corinth, he says, 
He says, when I came to you, he says, I came to you as a broken man. He says, and I didn't come to you with the enticing words of men's wisdom. But I came to you in a demonstration of the Holy Ghost and power. That your faith would not be built on men's wisdom. That your faith would not be built in some cleverly devised argument. But it would be built on the word of God. The foundation. Listen, this man is learning some stuff. And, and all of a sudden, he has great success in Corinth. And he goes on and you see, he's in, and finally, God says, now you can go to Asia. Guess what? He goes into Asia. He confronts the most powerful demonic force in the whole area. By bringing the light of the gospel, and guess what it does? Dismantles the whole thing. Puts the whole city in an uproar. He destroys the business around the idols in Ephesus. The silversmiths. He, he disrupts the whole economy. And the report goes out about him. He's, he, he ends up teaching for two years in the school of Tyrannus. And the report goes out about him and his disciples. These are the ones that overturned the whole world. They've shaken up the whole world with this message, this gospel that they preach. Some of you, I want you to understand, God's taking you through these seasons. He's teaching you little by little, line upon line, precept upon precept. He's letting you have encounters. You're learning things. Don't ever discount what you're learning. Don't ever discount the pain. Don't ever discount all the things you're going through and you're gaining ground, you're learning and you're becoming more powerful because God has assignments in this season for you where we're going to impact and we're going to turn Zimbabwe right side up. Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.